0: I just want you to know this morning that uh, it's not an accident that you're here and you're not, you're not an anonymous person here. You may feel like maybe you came by yourself or maybe you're in a place in your life uh, right now where you feel like nobody really understands what it's like to be you. Uh, I don't. Most people don't. Uh, but there's one who does. And you are not anonymous to him. Uh, he knows you by name. Uh, he knows how many hairs are on your head, the Bible tells us. Or if you're like me, how many hairs you don't have on your head. Um, he, he knows you. He knows you by name this morning. I just, want, I just feel like he wants you to know that uh, this morning. I think he has something, I believe that he has something very, very personal and very powerful uh, to, to address with each of us this morning. And so I want to start this morning with kind of a strange question, but what, what does hope mean to you? What does hope? mean to you? Not not the church hope, we've talked about that before, Lutheran Church of Hope, but what does hope in your life mean to you? If I had to ask you what does it mean to be a person filled with hope, what does that mean? Do you care? Do you want hope in your I think all of us do want hope, so it is pretty meaningful. But is hope something that's just born out of when things go right? When when everything seems to go our way? Is hope something that people have that, you know, you say, oh, there's people that are glass half full and there's people that are glass half empty. I'm just one of those that says, I'd like more to drink. Um, What is hope? Where does that come from? Where is that born from? What does hope mean to you? Is it just only possible when things are going way and in your way in positive circumstances or is it possible to experience hope no matter what is going on in your life? Well, certainly a hope-filled and joy-filled week Uh, last year, uh, not last year, well, last year too, but last week uh, here as we celebrated the resurrection together and the gobs of people and flowers and Easter lilies and all sorts of stuff for Easter. But I don't know if you know this, but today is Easter. That's not the response I got last week. Today is Easter. He is risen today. And you know what? So is tomorrow. And so is Tuesday. And so is Wednesday, when the last thing you want to do is roll out of bed and get up for work. He is risen. The, the reality of the resurrection lives on, and so I'm sure that uh, last Monday morning after Easter Sunday, you, you you walked in to your workplace and you stood, and all of your coworkers were waiting for you there, and you just said, "Hey, everybody! It's Monday morning. It's so great to see you." He is risen, and all of your coworkers wherever you work responded in unison, "He is risen indeed." And then you just worshipped right there in your cubicles. That, that didn't happen to you. Okay, well, that's what we did here, but I, you know. Regardless, that truth that exists, that same message, that same reality of Easter that we sang about this morning, it exists today, that the same power, just think about this for a second, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you, meaning sin has been defeated, your death has been defeated, meaning we have hope. And so Easter is every single day. We are Easter people. Resurrection is all around us because God continues to change lives, and that doesn't stop. And so you would think that because we're living in the power of the resurrection, that we have that hope within us, that that, that we would, as followers of Jesus, we would never doubt anything We would never worry about anything in our lives. We would never uh, struggle with any questions. We would never struggle with any doubts or, or fears, and life would just be great and peaceful and on cruise control because we live as Easter people, and everything's awesome, and everything's fine all the time. Okay, I guess not, right? That was the buzzer that says no. wasn't expecting that. That was exciting. We have a live studio audience here today. You would think that would be the case, but if we are honest today, as, even as followers of Jesus that know all of that, it's easy to lose our way. It's easy to ask lots of questions. It's easy to have lots of doubt. It's, it's easy to still have questions about our faith and about who Jesus is, and maybe that's you here today. There's a lot of people here last week for Easter, and everybody is fired up, and I just wonder, what, what now? Like, what do we do with that? What do you do when life doesn't feel like Easter? What do you do in the in-betweens of life? So if you're feeling that way, if you've ever doubted your faith or wrestled with who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, you're not alone. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, you've probably read this passage a hundred times, but you've never seen this before. Right after Easter, so Jesus predicts his own death, predicts his own resurrection, does both of them when he said he was going to do it, and then he takes all of his followers up to this hillside and up on top of the mountain, he ascends into heaven. Like he goes up on a giant zip line up into heaven before their very eyes, minus the zip line. He just does it because he's God. And you would think that they would all just be in awe and say, Jesus, whatever you say, we believe it. Everything's great and we'll trust you forever. And it says... They gathered and they worshiped Jesus on the mountain and some doubted. Say what? You just witnessed somebody come back from the dead, defeat the power of sin, death, and hell, and they're ascending up into heaven to God before your very eyes and you doubt? I think maybe Jesus is asking us the same question this morning. You and I are also witnesses to the resurrection. And yet it is so easy to doubt, to ask questions. And I want you to know if that's you this morning, that's welcomed. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, lots of questions. The story of the Old Testament is God's people asking God questions and wrestling with it. Regular, broken, ordinary people wondering, God, why are you the way you are? And if you've ever wrestled with those questions, God, why did you do this? God, why didn't you intervene here? God, why didn't you act in this way? God, why didn't you change things for me? Maybe that's you today. It continues in the New Testament. Jesus asked more questions than anybody else that walked the face of this earth. Jesus was a lot more interested in questions than he was answers. (laughs) Because he knew that in asking questions that we would stay hungry, that if we would seek, that he promises we will find him. And so we don't ask questions just to sort of live in ambiguity and never live in truth. That's called relativism, where just anything is truth and anything goes. That's not what Jesus is after. But he says also don't go over into the other extreme, into the other ditch, where you never ask any questions. In fact, there's normally two groups of people that I encounter as we continue to grow as a church, and people are coming into the church, and some, not a lot, but sometimes people will come to me and say, John... Since I met Jesus, everything has been great in my life. Everything has just been cruising along. I know my Bible in and out. You should hear my testimony. It is awesome. Uh, It is amazing. I've led 18,000 Bible studies, and I can teach any book of the Bible. I'm actually a biblical scholar in my free time. Um, I have an honorary doctorate because I'm so smart. I've got everything. I'm exaggerating, right? Now, some people go down that road, and you and I do sometimes too. It's the been there, done that, got the t-shirt kind of living and following Jesus. But then there's this other group of people that comes into the church as I meet new people and they say, John, I, I love Jesus so much and I know that he loves me and I'm, I'm all in with him. But man, I've got some questions. I don't understand all this. And, and sometimes I read the Bible, maybe this is you, I'm just guessing, and I don't understand everything that I'm reading. Not every book of the Bible, not every verse of the Bible makes complete sense to me. And so I got questions. I got doubts. I struggle with why God works the way he does sometimes. And sometimes it just feels like my life is a giant roller coaster. And sometimes I feel close to God and sometimes I don't. But you know what? I'm not going to give up on him. And you're like, that's the person I want to hang out with. The other person, ooh, gives me the heebie-jeebies. this person, with all the doubts and the questions, I think that's kind of who Jesus liked to hang out with, too. Why? Because they're hungry. When you stop asking questions, you lose your hunger. And I hope even for those of you that have been a part of a church your whole life and you've been following Jesus your whole life, never stop asking questions. Never lose your hunger. If you get into a been there, done that, got the t-shirt kind of Christianity, be very afraid. Jesus says, I want you to be hungry, not to stay in the question because the questions will lead to answers. And if you seek me, I promise to be found by you. The questions are good. Don't run away from them. Especially, we know that life is filled with questions, including the question that our scripture passage really tackles today that we're gonna focus on, and that is, does God still heal? Does God still actually heal people today? In fact, that opening video that you saw before the sermon wasn't just some random person. Her her name is Deanna Thompson, and she's actually the daughter of one of our pastors at Hope, Merv Thompson. And she has been wrestling for the last three or four years with the reality of breast cancer. And I know that's something that's a reality, or a lot of you have been connected to that as well. And so this isn't just some, like, theoretical thing. This is real. All of you have been affected by sickness or disease or illness in some way, and so we ask that question, can God intervene and heal people? And if he can, why doesn't he do it more often? And if he can, why does he not sometimes? I hope I'm not the only one that's ever wrestled with those questions, or you're going to be really bored with the sermon, and I'll just preach to myself. But I have a feeling you're not alone. Now some of you might be thinking, John, oh man, what a bummer sermon after Easter. I mean, Jesus is alive. Can't we talk about rainbows and puppies and Jesus and all that stuff? And you may think all this doesn't apply to you, but I just want to ask you, I'll just throw out some phrases and you just respond if it applies to you. You just say, that's me. Okay, so let's practice one time. Just yell out, "That's that's me. All right. So I don't know for you, but speaking for yourself if you yourself, a friend, or a family member has ever struggled with an illness or a sickness that just doesn't go away. At some point in my life, I have had somebody close to me die. When a tragedy or disaster occurs, maybe you've often found yourself asking, where is God in all of this? I've asked that before. Sometimes I think we're more in common than we have different. We've all said that's me. We're all in the same boat. So maybe this topic is closer to you than you think. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, I think we're in the same boat. Just tell him that right now. (laughs) I think we're in the same boat. Let him know that right now. One thing I love about God's Word is that it, it's not afraid to get messy, and, and God's Word isn't afraid to get right into those questions. We're not the kind of church where we want you to check your brain at the door. We want you to ask questions, and God's Word hits them head-on, and that's what I love about our scripture today, is it gets messy and into these deep wrestling questions of our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 1, or if you've got it on your phone or whatever, Mark chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, if you're just jumping in, if it's your first time to open up the Bible, that's great. The Gospels are in the New Testament, which is in the back half of your Bible. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And you're going to want to be familiar with where Mark is because we're going to be there for the next several weeks. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Join the Revolution, as you see up on stage here. We're going to be here for a while in the book of of Mark. And one thing you got to know about the book of Mark, as opposed to the other gospels, Mark moves along really quickly. One of Mark's favorite words to use is immediately. Everybody say immediately. 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 He likes to move on. It's it's action-packed. And so we start in Mark chapter uh, 1, verse 40. And we read this. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his needs. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And there's our favorite word. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Awesome, great, end of story. Jesus healed the guy. He always heals everybody else. End of sermon. Let's go home. Or not so much. I wish it was that way. That's the reality for this leper, but... The reality is, there was hundreds of other lepers, and they never got healed. You ever think about that? Everywhere that Jesus went, whenever he would walk around town, he would run into people that were needy, that had questions with all sorts of sicknesses and disease, and he probably walked past a hundred lepers to go heal this one. Now, well, that doesn't make sense, and the fact of the matter is that right now here today, there are some of you that are struggling with illness and sickness that you don't know how to get rid of. There are millions of people around the world that are struggling with illness and sickness and disease, and we are left with questions. We are left with doubts, and for a lot of us, we're left with a lot of pain. In fact, just over the, uh, about a month ago, uh, there's, there's been a lot of cancer going around hope. Not that it like, spreads like that, but there's just been a lot of people that have... Cancer. I hate it. I hate cancer. Let me just say that. I think when I when I get to heaven, I, I don't probably won't care about that, but man, it'd be nice to know. There are some things that we just don't have answers for. And so I'm going to visit an elderly couple where the gentleman has cancer. And I'm walking down the hallway, and as I'm entering the room, I'm remembering the email that I just got sent about a week before that said, he had been diagnosed with cancer about a month ago. It's the aggressive kind where it's spreading rapidly, and it's into all the different organs of his body. And the doctor said, at best, maybe a month, maybe a week. And here I'm going into this room, and I'm the pastor, so I'm supposed to fix it all, right? Which is a big lie. And so I walk in, and we pray, and we talk together. And so I come out of that door, and I walk in to the hallway, and I want you to know sometimes pastors have moments where we can't really hold it together and we can't be strong. Oh, the pastor came to pray for me. It'll fix everything. Do you know that the same power that lives in me lives in you and that you can pray for healing for people too? That's why we have people on our care team here at Hope Des Moines that do an awesome job of that. You don't need your pastor to pray for you. You just need the body of Christ to pray for you. I would love to, but you know, sometimes I just have those moments where I doubt and I question God and I'm just leaning up against the railing in the hallway going, what is up with cancer? I mean, I'm close to these people. (laughs) This is affecting me. This isn't just stats or research. This is people. And I just had one of those moments, and so I'm there in the hallway. I kid you not, about a month later, I'm in that exact same hallway of the hospital, (laughs) not on that side of the hallway, but in a room across the other side of the hallway for another member that's been diagnosed with cancer, similar situation, spreading rapidly into a lot of his organs, been given a month or two to live. Same sort of situation. I go in, I pray with the family, we worship a little bit together, we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed for healing and I come out and then I have another one of my pastor moments. Like, I can't, I can't be strong right now. And God says, I didn't ask you to be strong, I asked you to be weak. And so I just start praying in the hallway and I, and I look across and then I see <laughs> that door. A couple days later, this door, this family over here I get an email that about a week later, he's still in the hospital, the doctor's doing a diagnosis or a test or something, and over 95% of the cancer gone. Disappeared. And they said in the email, the doctors looked at it and they said, ah, I've never seen anything like this. Like, I can't explain. I said, Of course you can't, right? It's a miracle. He's like, I, 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 I don't know what happened. I say, I know what happened. Jesus got up in your business, and you got healed. That's what happened. Does Jesus still heal today? Absolutely. Amen? Amen. I mean, this is, this is real. This isn't just in the Bible, or some story somewhere, some fairy tale. This is real. Jesus healed him, and he's alive today to tell about it. And a week later, I'm planning his funeral there are a lot of things in this life that we will never understand, but here's one thing I know for sure. Life is lived in the hallway. Life is lived in the hallways of life. Between life and death, between good and evil, between bad things that happen and good things that happen, between the now and the not yet, between healing and and maybe a different kind of healing that we don't expect. Life is lived in the hallway, and for some of you, that's where you're at today. Maybe not with cancer, but there's a lot of different ways that God wants to heal us. For some of you, it may be that physical healing that you or somebody you know is longing for and that you've been praying for for a long time, but Jesus also wants to heal you emotionally from the baggage and the wounds and the things that have been said to you in the past, from your guilt and your shame. Jesus wants to heal you relationally from your broken relationship with your parents or a sibling or another family member. Jesus wants to heal you spiritually. Some of you have been wounded by the church or you feel so distant and far away from God. Jesus wants to heal that divide. There's lots of different ways that Jesus wants to heal us, and he does that in a lot of different ways, but we live our lives in the in-between. Some of you have something in your life right now that you're saying, this is who I am, and this is where I want to be. I don't want to be in that room. I want to be in that room. I don't want to be this circumstance in my life. I want things to change. I want this relationship to be better. I want my marriage to be better. I want my house, my finances to be better. I want to have the job that I want. I am here, and I want to be here, but most of life is lived not here nor there. It's lived in the hallway. Most of life is lived waiting, and that's just the reality of our lives. That was the reality for a couple here at Hope Des Moines, uh, the Windsor family, and, and this is uh, about a year or so ago. We put together this video, and at the time, they were living life in the hallway. They had just received some terrible news, and I want to show you, show you this short little clip, this short little vignette that we put together that I think speaks to their experience of living life in the in-between. Let's take a look.
1: My name is Cindy Windsor, and I've been going to help about four or five years. About a year and a half ago, my husband, who was very, very athletic, very fit, became very sick and found out that he had heart failure. At the same time, I'm pregnant with our son, and at 35 weeks pregnant, after many visits here, hospital visits here, he was sent by ambulance to Mayo in Rochester. I followed, he stayed, and ended up having open heart surgery with me delivering a baby a week after his recovery. Watching him be so sick is really, really difficult. and. Makes me a little emotional just because he's so sick, and it's really difficult to w- just watch him, his health fail from going to, from being so fit and so active to being so not. And I guess I kind of heard this little, this little quote, and it probably isn't exact, but it's the idea of while we wait for God to open the next door, we praise Him in the hallway. I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Like in the meantime, we still have to give glory to Him and thank Him for all the blessings we have. So even now as Freddie's really sick in the hospital again, we are able to go up and see him and he can just he can just really enjoy watching this little baby through video and FaceTime and we get to go see him and so it keeps his spirits up. Otherwise, I don't know where his thoughts would go. So I, he has said he has said before, I think Zion saved my life. Like his that little spirit that God gave us has really has changed it all.
0: So at the time that we filmed that, not now, but at the time that we filmed that, that was their reality. They were living life in the hallway, learning how to praise God even when everything in your life isn't fine. You do know that, don't you? That God is worthy of our praise regardless of how you feel, and that sometimes on a Sunday morning, I know you come in here and you're like, "The last thing I want to do is worship. Life stinks." And God says, do it anyway because it's what I created you for. And so they're learning that and we prayed and we worshiped together in their home and all sorts of things like that. But they were living there and I think it's okay to pause there for a second because we live in the not yets of life and the things that we long for. Sometimes God intervenes and sometimes he doesn't and God is faithful and sometimes he shows up Any heals. And the reason I'm sharing that story with you now a year later is that last week on Easter, I got to give Freddie a great big hug in the back of the worship center right here because a year later, he is completely healed with a brand new heart. So praise God for that. Amen? And that was awesome. And we had a little moment, you know, guys, don't cry very often, but When you've got your life back, you don't really care what people think anymore. just care what God thinks because he's the only reason you're alive and he knows that. And when I I looked at him and I said, Freddie, happy Easter. That takes on a whole new meaning for somebody that gets a whole second chance at life. He is risen, oh yeah, he's risen indeed, right here inside of me. And I understand that's their story. That's Cindy and Freddie's story. It may not be your story. Some of you are living right there in the hallway today. And living in the hallway is is kind of an easy way of understanding what's kind of a big theological concept about the kingdom that is here and not yet. Everybody say now. Everybody say not yet. That's the reality that we live. And so when Jesus is stepping into the scene here uh, in the first century, you have to understand the context of Jewish history at the time is that they understood this idea that time, if you're a good Jew, this is their understanding of how time happens, that time is moving along, and at a certain point, Jesus stepped in. When Jesus broke into the scene of their chronological time as it's moving this way, they thought that was it. There's this age and then there is the age to come, or their eternity, the reality that when Jesus comes, he's going to set everything straight. And we know that. We, we know that that is coming at some point, but they thought Jesus is here. He's going to solve and fix everything. That's why they worshiped him on Palm Sunday. That's why Holy Week was such a big deal, because we thought this was the Messiah. And you can imagine their shock when they see their Messiah hanging dead on a cross. Now we don't have any hope. Jesus had a different understanding. Jesus understands really the way that time works and the way that these kingdoms work. And Jesus says, no, it's not like that. It looks a little bit more like this. Yes, time is moving along like that. And yes, Jesus has broken into our lives. There was a moment in history where Jesus broke in and he says, the kingdom of God is here. The reality of the kingdom is here. But what Jesus is on this earth, he says, I'm not staying forever. I'm ushering in the first part of the kingdom here, but there's more of the kingdom reality to come. And we know that because in Revelation we read that there will be a day in the age to come when there will be no more crying and no more pain and no more sickness and no more cancer. And no more brokenness of any kind. And that's coming, but that's in the age to come. And so Jesus says, there's going to be a time where I'm going to come back. So we have the first coming and we have the second coming. This is Jesus as a baby coming and growing and living and dying and rising again. And this will be when Jesus promises to come back again with the full reality of the kingdom. And we will live for him, with him forever. And when I say forever, that line goes right off the paper. I don't have a whiteboard big enough for this. And it just keeps right on going over your heads, through that wall. Probably wraps around the building building a couple million times. And that's just a glimpse of how long eternity is. Eternity is a really long time. And so this, I understand, it's just kind of this theological concept. But what this does is it helps us understand where we are. Because right here is the hallway, we live in the land between. We live in the between the now and the not yet. So we live, there's this age, there is the age to come, but we live here. We live in this age and the age to come. This explains why there are certain moments in our lives where we feel, like heaven has come to earth. Jesus said, pray for that. Pray that my kingdom would come to earth on, in heaven as it is, or on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why you'll hear people say things like they experience something and they say, oh, it was like a glimpse of heaven. You're on a really romantic date with your spouse or you're out driving through the cornfields of Iowa in the summer and you know, you know the line from Field of Dreams, right? Is this heaven, right? No, it's Iowa. Why did he say that? Because he felt like God's presence was there in a real powerful way, and he got a glimpse of what things will be someday. Maybe it's in a sunrise over the mountains or the sunset over the Grand Canyon. Maybe it's eating a piece of cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory. I just got a taste of heaven, right? You hear people say things like that. For me, getting a glimpse of heaven is the Masters on Sunday. Did you know that it's the Masters day? It's the final round of the Masters goal. I, I am so engrossed in this. We don't live life in the hallway, folks. We live life in the fairway. We gotta keep it in between the boundaries, okay? For me, the Masters on Sunday with the, the, the white sand and the bunkers and the lush green grass Like I would mow lines in my lawn growing up trying to make it look like as green as the masters, right? And I would mow the fairways. I love the masters. And watching that on Sunday, and I can't even imagine being there someday, that would be a glimpse of heaven. It's also when people get healed from cancer. We get a glimpse of heaven. We live in the now and not yet, but eternity is a really, really long time, and I understand that that realizing this theological concept, it doesn't take the pain away, but what I think it does is it makes life worth living, because we can live now in the reality of what's to come, because we know the end of the story, it changes how we live the story now, amen? that make sense? So that's the understanding that Jesus wants us to have. But because we live here and we're not here, we still live in the hallway. And I think experience shows us that as followers of Jesus, we tend to respond in one of two ways. There's one of two ways that we try to cope living in the hallway. When things don't go our way, when God, does, God seems to be distant and not responding to us or he doesn't heal, the first thing that we normally do is we grow angry or we go bitter. Because God, you didn't come through for me when I wanted you to. I haven't found a spouse yet. You haven't healed my mom. You haven't done this. You haven't done that. Whatever it is, the not yet of your life, and it's easy to grow angry and it's easy to grow bitter. But you know what I've realized? I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you have like a little argument with your spouse or a family member there's some tension and you're kind of angry and mad at each other. You know, Those of you that are married, I'm sure this never applies to you, just to me, so I'll just paint a picture for you. So Tiffany and I get in a little argument this past week, and I am mad. I am really mad, and we're giving each other the silent treatment. Maybe you've never, I know none of you ever struggle with that, but uh, we're giving each other the silent treatment, like I don't want to talk to you because I don't want to be the first person to apologize. It was your fault. You should apologize first. Boy, that's servant leadership. So (laughs) there's this tension between us, and we're both growing angry and bitter, and I'm just like, I'm in a bad mood. This this isn't any fun at all to be mad at you, and so we got an argument that day before, and then the next morning, I just kind of look at her, and I I can't help but like kind of just laugh and smile a little bit. I go, I don't really want to be mad at you anymore, because you know what? Being angry is exhausting. It's really exhausting, and I don't have any joy And I thought, I think that's the way it is in our relationship with God, too. So you're not getting what you want. So life isn't the way that you would want it, right? You don't have everything that you want. Do you know that being angry and bitter at God is like wrapping a hundred-pound weight on your shoulders? It doesn't do damage to him. It does damage to you. When you don't forgive people for what they've done to you, you're the one wrapping the chains around your wrists that enslave you, and it steals your joy. And the problem with living your life angry and bitter is that it steals your joy and you're left empty. Now, some of you are saying, no, 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 John, that's not me. I'm not angry and bitter. And some of us, unfortunately, in the ways that we try to cope with the not yet of life, we start to, what we do is we over-spiritualize and we spiritualize away the conflict. And we say phrases that are well intentioned, that we think are helpful, but they're not really helpful at all. And I don't—maybe you've never said these, but certainly these pop up from time to time. And we say things that we think are biblical, like, "Oh, I'm sorry that that person died. God probably needed them more than you did." Where's my buzzer again? Eh, right. You know why that's not true? Because God doesn't need anything. He's God. And yet we hear things like that. We hear things like, oh, somebody's not getting healed. You must not be praying hard enough. You must not have enough faith. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's what I'm looking for. Or something happens or a terrible tragedy or disaster strikes and we say, oh, God must be angry with them because they're sinners. Because they did something wrong. (laughs) I hate to break it to you, but we're all sinners, and we all deserve death. And so the fact that we can have joy and happiness and peace and freedom in our lives is a gift. This morning when you got up from bed and you had the breath of life in your lungs, that's a miracle. And we should get down on our knees and say, thank you, God, because everything I have in my life is by grace and grace alone. Amen? Amen? Everything is a gift. The God that we read about in the Bible is not a God that's angry with us, waiting to punish us. It's a God that wants to give you life. And yet we say these things just to try and cope, to try to deal with the question. And so you hear about this. There's a certain story in John chapter 9. You can turn there if you want. The Gospel of John, Jesus tells a story of a blind man. And it says Jesus went along and he saw this man that had been born blind from birth. His disciples asked him. This is the question. They, they see a blind man, and Jesus' disciples ask, okay, um, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, you would think the disciples have been hanging out with Jesus for a while, and they've had some lessons on, like, compassion and sympathy and, like, what not to say and, and, and what to say. Like, if I'm Jesus, I am failing all of these guys in the pastoral care class, Okay? What kind of pastor, what kind of follower of Jesus walks into a hospital room where there's a family gathering around somebody that's ready to die of cancer and they walk in the room and say, all right, who sinned? What? No, you would never say that, right? But before you go jumping all over the disciples and blaming them, understand the narrative that they're living from. This was a narrative that had been around for centuries that other religions even before Christianity had passed down that they were kind of operating out of and some rabbis taught this idea that had been around for a long time that in order to make the gods pleased with you or to get blessed, you had to do certain things. Some of that was good to offer sacrifices and things like that, but it trickled into our thinking that if I live my life in a certain way, then the gods will be pleased with me and therefore they will bless me and heal me and do whatever for me conversely, if I do something wrong, if I anger the gods, then they will, you name it, take it out on me. Sort of a I scratch your back, you scratch mine sort of relationship with God. The problem is, that's not true either. That's not the kind of God that we see in the Bible. So this is the question that the disciples are asking and Jesus puts the kibosh on that and that's why he comes back and says, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, in that moment, Jesus says, let me just put this question to rest. Let me set set the record straight. God is not angry with this man. We live in a broken, sinful world where you may not fully understand why things always happen the way they do, but your job is not to play God and tell somebody who is just about to have somebody that they love sick, uh, or or that that God is taking it out on them, that God doesn't love them, or that a disaster hit a certain country and there was a tragedy because they're sinners. That is not your job. Your job is not to go around pointing fingers. The job is to offer grace and, and, and compassion. And of these two responses, when we grow bitter and angry, we run from God. And when we come up with all these trite spiritual answers that just don't make sense, we try to be God, neither of which are possible. You'll never be able to run from God, and you'll never be able to be God. Instead, the answer is, let's let God be God. And let's be his kids, and let's be his children. Instead, the Bible offers a third way, right down the middle. Read the Bible, read the Psalms, and it'll become crystal clear to you, and I want you to hear this this morning, that the presence of pain does not equal the absence of God. The presence of pain, the presence of the not-yets of your life does not mean that God's not there. In fact, it means that he's even closer. The Psalm says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit. In that moment, when you think you're at your deepest, darkest, farthest away from God, that's actually when he's the closest to you. In the hallway is where God shows up. He always has, and he always will. God loves to enter into our pain, into the brokenness and the messiness of our lives, and nobody knows that better than the man with leprosy. So if you're in John, flip on back to Mark, and that's where we're gonna land today is Mark chapter one. Back to our story for today. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Now some of you think, thinking, indignant, is Jesus mad? No, you have to understand what's happening here. The Greek word for this means that Jesus was viscerally moved. Don't even ask me how to say that Greek word. It's Greek. It's Greek to me. It's Greek to you. Jesus was moved from the bowels. It's pretty raw, I know, but it's like a righteous, holy anger meets this loving, unbridled compassion. And you put those things together, and that's what Jesus feels for you. If you've ever doubted the heart of God, look no further than his reaction to a man that has leprosy. And to understand the story a little bit, you have to understand that lepers didn't only just have like this terrible skin disease, but because of that, they, people believed, well, it's contagious, and I don't want to get anywhere close to them. And so you were excommunicated from your family and from your friends, and you were destined to live a life of isolation and humiliation. People didn't want to get near you, and so you are a child of God. You have a name. Let's say your name is John or Mary or whatever it is, and you know who you are, but wherever you go, people don't call you by name anymore because you have no dignity because you have this disease that wherever lepers would walk around, people would say, Leper! Leper! Stay away from them! And so you would walk, and if I was walking down the aisle and I had leprosy, people would walk around you, get as far away as humanly possible. I don't want anything to do with you. Think of the shame Think of the shame. And so there's lots of things that need to be healed in this moment. There's lots of things that need to be healed. We are complex people and we need healing emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally. And of all the ways that Jesus could have healed the leper, he's God, so he could have said, you know, I don't really want to get too close to you either, so I'm just going to stand here at a distance and go, poof, from 20 feet away and have you be healed. Jesus walks right up to the leper and does something unimaginable. He touches him. Nobody touches lepers. You have to understand, nobody touches lepers until Jesus. Because he wanted to show you once and for all, Jesus says, I don't only understand whatever you're going through in your life right now, I'm willing to take it on because if you touch somebody with leprosy you might get leprosy Jesus says I'm only I don't know not only do I understand what you're going through I'm willing to take it on and I'm willing to die for it in fact I did I'm not afraid of leprosy because in a few days I'm going to be nailed to a cross and I'm going to die for all of your sin and all of your guilt and all of your shame and all of your sickness and all of your leprosy from now and forever so we never have to deal with it again. Jesus is giving us a glimpse of heaven. That's why he didn't heal everybody. That wasn't his mission. His mission was to say, oh, there is much more to come. I'm just giving you a taste. Nobody heals lepers until Jesus comes along. You have to understand the the, the truth that Jesus is operating under here. Yeah, we're living in the hallway, but you can have a glimpse of heaven right now. Jesus heals him. Think, now Now he's healed relationally because now he can go back into his friends and family. Now he's healed emotionally because he's healed from the, the scars and the wounds of the past. Now he's healed spiritually because he's connected to Jesus again, and certainly he's healed physically. Don't ever doubt the ways that God might want to heal you. Yes, we talk about physical healing all the time, but you know what? I think Jesus wants to heal your marriage. I think Jesus wants to heal you from those words that have been said to you from the beginning of your life about your self-image and your outward appearance that you're still so insecure about. I think Jesus wants to enter in right into that wound and heal you. Have you asked him? Or are you just kind of living life with the mantra, I guess I am who I am. This is the way things are. And Jesus says, no, they're not. Because heaven's coming. And I want to give you a glimpse of heaven right now. I think he wants to heal you. Whether it's this side of heaven or that side of heaven, that's up to him. But it doesn't mean we stop asking for it. So how do we live in the in-between? How do we live in the hallway? I want to give you two keys as we finish. I want you to jot these down. Two keys to living in the hallway. If that's where we live, what do we do? Number one, we keep praying. Everybody say, keep praying. praying. We keep praying. Why? Because of who we're talking to. Because of a loving, compassionate Father who actually commands us to pray. Do you know that it is a command in Scripture that we're to pray for healing for each other? Jesus says, it's not a suggestion. I want you to do it. I love how James puts it in James chapter 5 verse 16. Let's read this together nice and loud on the screen. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What if we actually believe that? Like if we actually live that out? Here's a challenge to us as a church this morning. If we actually live that out, it would not, the thought wouldn't cross your mind to leave this building any week without being prayed for or praying for somebody else. If the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you, why would you withhold that from somebody else? It doesn't matter how it comes out. It doesn't say if you pray in a certain way and use a lot of big biblical spiritual words, then the person will be healed. Jesus just heals people because he loves you. And sometimes he doesn't because he loves you. Don't stop Praying. Seven words. I've said them before. Seven words that can change your life. Can I pray for you right now? Let's say it together. Can I pray for you right now? That's seven, right? Yeah, seven. We don't have a prayer room. We don't have a prayer chapel. We don't have specific places where the prayer partners are because you are the prayer team. This is the prayer chapel, and you can pray anywhere about anything with anyone. Keep praying. Everybody say, keep praying keep praying because Jesus heals people. And secondly, keep the faith. Everybody say keep the faith. Keep the faith. We keep the faith because God is faithful. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have many troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. How can Jesus say something like that? Is he saying just suck it up? No, he's saying, take heart, for I have overcome the world, Jesus says, because I know the end of the story, because that I know that I'm going to die on that cross, and three gra- days later, I'm going to rise from the grave, and I'm going to kick your sin, I'm going to kick your, your death, your shame, your guilt, your brokenness, the darkness, and the power of hell and Satan in the face so that you don't have to deal with them anymore. I know the end of the story. That's why we have hope today. Hope isn't like, oh, I'm just going to try to be a little bit more optimistic or I'm going to meditate and try to find that peace within. He is your peace within. It's It's not the power of positive thinking. It's the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that we're called to live in every single day. Amen? That's where we live. That's where we find hope. Hope is not born on the mountaintops when everything goes well. Hope is born out of adversity. Hope is born in the hallway. There's a video that uh, I saw this past week when I was digging through the archives a little bit, and a member of our congregation that does computer animation made this video Probably he didn't really know why, but he just made it, and I think it speaks to what God wants to say to us as we close today. It's an old Indian story. It's a parable that speaks to who God is as our Father, and if you've ever doubted where God is when you hurt, when he doesn't heal, when you're struggling, take a look and see what God might have to say to you this morning.
2: There's an old legend by the Cherokee Indians where a boy has to pass a special test to become a man. His father takes him into the forest, blindfolds him and leaves them there alone. He's required to sit on a stump the whole night and not remove the blindfold until the rays of the morning sun shine through it. He cannot cry out for help to anyone. Well, the boy is naturally terrified. He can hear all kinds of wild beasts must surely be around him. Maybe even some humans might do him harm. Finally, after an horrific night, the sun appeared and he removed his blindfold. And that's when he discovered his father sitting on the stump right next to him. He had been at watch the entire night protecting his son from harm. We, too, are never alone. Even when we don't know it, God is always watching over us, sitting on the stump beside us. For we walk by faith, not by sight.
0: The Father had been there the entire time. And I don't know what's going on in your life today, I don't know what challenges that you're facing. But I want you to know this He's never left and he never will. He's never left, and he never will. Whether you're on the hallway or you're sitting on the stump, he is right there behind you. And it says, you don't have to be strong. In fact, I prefer it when you're weak, because then I can be exceedingly strong in your life. Jesus says, I am more than enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you today. I am more than enough. Look to me, Jesus says. Set your eyes on me and trust that I have been and I will always be faithful for you, even in the hallway. Amen?